0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio show's guest year. For this episode, I bring you Agatha Christie's Miss Marple, episode titled The Moving Finger, where troubled war veteran Jerry Burton and his sister Joanna rent a cottage in a seemingly tranquil English village, which is plagued by a spate of poison pen letters and murder. This will be a two-part series, so sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this nostalgic mystery radio. Thank you for listening.
1: The moving finger writes, and having writ moves on. Nor all your piety nor wit can lure it back to cancel half a line. Nor all thy tears wash out a word of it.
2: We present June Whitfield as Miss Marple in Agatha Christie's The Moving Finger.
1: Jane, is that you, Jane? Yes, Maud. Who else did you think it might be? Jane, I don't care what you're doing or what your plans are. You've got to get down here at once. We need someone who knows a great deal about wickedness. Oh. You're the only person who can put a stop to it. Many people are inclined to find Maud Dane Calthrop rather disconcerting at first, even to feel a little afraid of her. Not in the least like a vicar's wife, is the usual verdict. I never thought that this was a wicked place, Jane. But what is happening here is evil, pure evil. Please say you'll come straight away. Limstock was hardly the kind of place where one would expect to come face to face with iniquity. It is a sleepy little market town on the edge of the moors that has never really recovered from Henry VIII pulling down the priory in 1539. It has a charming high street, a large and pretentious ironmongers, a firm of solicitors, Messrs Galbraith, Galbraith and Symington, And a beautiful and unexpectedly large church, of which Maud's husband is the vicar. Of course, Caleb hasn't the faintest notion of what is going on. What is going on, Maud? What exactly has happened? Letters. Anonymous letters. Almost everyone in Limstock has had one. You mean poison pen letters? Very nasty. Quite disgusting. And making all kinds of allegations about people's sex lives. And have you deceived one of them yourself? Oh, yes. Three, in fact. Mm. I forget exactly what they said. Something very silly about Caleb and the schoolmistress, I think. Quite absurd, because Caleb has absolutely no taste for fornication. Never has had. So fortunate being a clergyman. Quite so. At the time, I dismissed the letters as a rather unpleasant joke. I think most people did. But Mrs Symington evidently did not. Mrs Simmington. The wife of the local solicitor. She took her own life two days ago. That's why I telephoned you. And had she received one of these letters? Yes, she had. Do you know what it said? It alleged that her second boy, Colin, was not her husband's child. And you say she killed herself. There's no doubt about that, I suppose. None at all. She took cyanide, I believe. And was there any reason to suggest that there was any truth in the accusation? Yes. I'd no idea. Symington was her second husband. She'd been married to a Captain Hunter, a bit of a blighter, by all accounts. She divorced him a couple of years after the marriage. Did she have any children by this Captain Hunter? Yes, a girl named Megan. She's 20, but looks and behaves like an overgrown schoolgirl. I like her, but a few of the people round here treat her as if she were a half-wit. What kind of woman was this Mrs Simmington? She always seemed to me to be a selfish, rather stupid woman with a good, firm hold on life. Not the kind to panic, you would think. But I'm beginning to realise now how little I really know anyone. Did she leave a letter or anything of the sort? She had written, I can't go on, on a scrap of paper, nothing more. Do you have any idea at all whom the writer of these letters might be? A woman. Everyone's agreed on that. And yes, since you ask, there is one person whom I do suspect. Oh? But I'm not going to tell you, Jane, because I might very well be mistaken. That's why I asked you to come. You have such a way of getting people to talk, of sniffing out the truth. You have a nose for evil. Sir Henry Clithering always says so. (laughs) I'm touched by your faith in me, Maud. But really, I'm quite at a loss where to begin. I think... You should go and have a talk with Jerry Burton. Oh, he's only lived in Limstock for a short time. He's an aeroplane pilot and was quite badly injured in a flying accident. He came down here to rest and recover and to get the use of his legs again. Oh, so brave, these young men. You see, Jane, because he's an outsider and has no preconceived ideas about the people here, and because everyone's rather sorry for him and thinks he's a bit of a hero... They talk to him without worrying too much what it is they're saying. A spy within the gates, so to speak. He's living at Little Furs. Little Furs? It belongs to old Emily Barton, but she's moved into rooms kept by her old parlourmaid. His sister has come down to look after him. Joanna, a very sensible girl, and would be rather attractive if she didn't plaster her face with so much make-up. Have Mr Burton or his sister received any of these letters?
3: Oh, yes, we've had one, all right. It came about a week after we'd moved in. It said in the coarsest possible terms that Joanna and I weren't
4: brother and sister. It really was an awful lot of filth. I'd heard about anonymous letters, of course, but I'd never seen one before. I suppose it must be something to do with my clothes and my lipstick somebody obviously thought I was an abandoned female
1: (laughs) I think it's far more likely my dear to do with the fact that you are fair and blue-eyed and rather petite while your brother is tall and dark what did the letter look like was it written by hand
3: oh no it consisted of printed words and letters cut out and gummed on a piece of paper
4: and the Ah. envelope was typed it all came as a bit of a shock to us you see I thought they liked us down here and it's such a nice place sweet and funny and old world and what did you do with the letter jerry threw it on the fire
3: i certainly didn't want partridge taking a look at it
4: partridge she's the woman who looks after us she used to be one of miss barton's maids she's a bit of a tartar
3: i should have kept it of course but i didn't realize that other people had received them until the doctor Owen griffith called in to give me my weekly overhaul do you mean that you've had one of them there have been others
5: oh yes They've been going on for some time now.
3: I thought it was just us, that people didn't like strangers moving in here.
5: Oh, no, it's got nothing to do with that. Uh, what did the letter say? Uh, I, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have asked.
3: No, 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 I'll tell you with pleasure. It just said that the fancy tart I'd brought down with me wasn't my sister. Oh. <laughs> and that's the badlerised version.
5: Your sister wasn't too upset, I hope? Oh, no,
3: not in the least. Joanna may look like the angel on top of the Christmas tree, but she's really quite tough. <laughs> just
5: how long has all this been going on? It's hard to say, because people who get these letters don't go around advertising the fact they put them on the fire.
3: Yes, that's just what I did.
5: Hmm. I've had one, and so has Symington, the solicitor. And one or two of my patients have told me about them. Same sort of thing? Oh, yes. They're all about sex. Symington was accused of having an illicit affair with his Lady clerk. <laughs> She's got pasting and teeth like a rabbit. <laughs> he took it straight to the police. And what about you? Oh, I showed mine to the police as well. It accused me of violating professional decorum with my lady patients and went into a lot of nasty details. (laughs) The letters are all quite absurd, but they're horribly venomous. These things can be dangerous, you know.
3: Yes, I suppose they can.
5: You see, Mr Burton, there's always the chance that sooner or later one of these letters might hit the mark. And then God knows what'll happen. I
1: may be being very foolish but it does not seem to me that these letters have any specific intention. It sounds more as if whoever it is is working off some kind of spite. There was a case of something rather similar last year. In Norwich, I believe it was, and it turned out to be the head of the millinery department in a big draper's establishment. A quiet, very refined woman been there for years. The trouble was that in our case it didn't
4: just end with that letter.
3: A week later Partridge came up to us in the garden looking particularly grim and told us that Beatrice, the daily help, would not be coming again.
6: I gather the girl has been upset in her feelings.
3: What on earth do you mean by that?
6: On account of a letter she has received making insinuations about goings-on in this house. What utter nonsense! My very words, Mister, the girl's mother... Goings on in this house, I said, to her, they never have been and never will be while I am in charge. As to Beatrice, I said, girls are different nowadays, and as to goings on elsewhere, I can say nothing. Goings on elsewhere? The truth is, miss, that Beatrice's friend from the garage, as she walks out with, he got one of them nasty letters too, and he isn't acting reasonable at all.
3: I've never heard anything so preposterous in my life. Ah.
6: It's my opinion, sir, that we're well rid of the girl. What I say is, she wouldn't take on so if there wasn't something she didn't want found out. No smoke without fire, that's what I say.
3: I cannot tell you, Miss Marple, how sick I have become of that phrase, no smoke without fire.
1: Was it something like that which drove that unfortunate woman... Mrs Simmington? Yes, to take her own life. I suppose so. i'd have thought
4: she was the most unlikely woman to have a guilty secret she was such a faded anxious creature who talked all the time about difficulties with the servants and went on and on about her health one feels
1: for the poor husband of course and her young boys Mm. and there is another child is there not from her first marriage megan yes though she's hardly a child
4: anymore i always had the impression that mrs symington didn't care for her very much as if Megna had never really fitted into her second marriage and was rather an embarrassment to have about the house. When
2: I
3: saw her first, I thought she was a schoolgirl.
4: And she goes round in such dreadful drab old clothes. I think she's a changeling left on the doorstep by the fairies. Of course, she fairly worships Jerry. She was one of the first people in Dimstock to take the trouble to get to know him.
7: Are you walking into town?
3: Oh, yes, I am, as a matter of fact.
7: Do you mind if I join you?
3: glad to have your company.
7: You manage very well on those sticks.
3: Oh, I do my best. Uh, did you, uh, did you know you've torn your stocking?
7: Oh, it's got two holes already, so it doesn't matter very much, does it?
3: Don't you ever mend your stockings?
7: Only when mummy catches me. She doesn't notice awfully what I do.
3: What an odd thing to say. You don't seem to realise you've grown up.
7: You mean I ought to be more like your sister, all dolled up?
3: Well, if you want to put it like that.
7: She isn't a bit like you, is she?
3: brothers and sisters aren't always alike.
7: No. I'm not at all like Brian or Colin, but we had different fathers. You fly, don't you?
3: Yes. At least I did.
7: Is that how you got hurt?
3: Yes. I, well, I crashed. Mm
7: will you get all right and be able to fly again or will you always be a bit of a croc
3: Mm. my doctor says i shall be okay
7: i'm glad about that would you like to sit down for a bit
3: i would actually
7: well there's a bench over here by the war memorial Mm.
3: What do you do with yourself down here
7: what is there to do
3: well there must be lots of things tennis golf
7: oh i'm no good at tennis and i can't abide golf and there aren't many girls around here
3: but you must have known girls when you were at school or didn't you go to school in limstock
7: yes i did but i didn't care for them very much i didn't care much for the school either what was wrong with it well it was all bits and pieces chopping and changing from one thing to another it was a rotten school and the teachers weren't very interested they could never answer questions properly.
3: Very few teachers can.
7: I was pretty stupid, I suppose. I was all right on the factual things. Maths and geography. But I couldn't stand the way they used to blather on about poetry. Shelley twittering on about skylarks. Oh, and Shakespeare. What's wrong with Shakespeare? Oh, twisting himself up to say things in such a difficult way so that you can't get at what he means. Well, our teachers certainly couldn't. Though... There were some things I did like.
3: I'm sure the Bard would be grateful to know that.
7: Goneril and Regan, for instance.
3: Um, what is there to like about Goneril and Regan?
7: They're satisfactory somehow. Satisfactory? How do you think they got like that? Like what? Like they were. I mean, something must have done it. I suppose it was because that awful old father of theirs insisted on such a lot of sucking up.
1: What a very perceptive remark. And how does the girl get on with her stepfather?
4: I don't think he pays her any attention at all. He seems hardly aware of her existence.
8: Megan? Oh, we're thinking of finding something for her to do. Um, Dressmaking, perhaps. Or she might try her hand at shorthand and typing. But, of course, she is very young still and backward for her age. Or so they tell me.
1: It hardly sounds very satisfactory. And then there are the two young boys. One cannot help wondering what is going to happen to them. Oh, I wouldn't be too worried. They've got a very capable nursery governess. A real good looker. Mm. Jerry
4: was quite smitten with her at first. Joanna? Like Helen of Troy, you said she was.
3: Until she opened her mouth.
4: Don't mention it. No trouble at all. (laughs) It's funny, isn't it? Looks like Aphrodite, but simply no S.A. at all. S.A.? Sex
1: appeal. Oh, <laughs> oh but i do so understand <laughs> uh, but we are rather drifting away from the subject of the letters i i don't wish to appear inquisitive of course but can you tell me who else in Limstock has received them?
3: It's hard to say because most people won't admit to
4: them. Well, I know for a fact that the butcher's wife had one and that pretty barmaid at the Rose And, Crown.
3: and I'm pretty certain that Amy Griffith has had one. And who is Amy Griffith? She's the doctor's sister. Absolutely
4: ah. disgustingly hearty. <laughs> I shouldn't be surprised if she took a cold bath every morning. <laughs>
3: She's always on at <laughs> Megan to join the girl guides. She doesn't approve of her at all.
9: The girl's just bone idle. Spends all her time mooning about. I don't believe in laziness, and certainly not in young people. Not as though Megan were even pretty to look at. Sometimes I think she must be half-witted. The father, you know, was definitely a un. I'm afraid the child takes after him.
1: And now I must be going. I've taken up far too much of your time as it is, and I don't like to feel that I'm intruding. You'll drop in as often as you like, Miss Marple. Uh, tell me... Does this Amy Griffith, who seems to have such very decided opinions, have any idea who's writing these letters? If she does, she's keeping it to herself. Hmm. Does anyone have any idea? According to Partridge,
3: everyone in Limstock is convinced that it's Mrs. Cleat. Mrs. Cleat? And who is she? She's the wife of an elderly jobbing gardener who lives in a cottage down by the mill. I've tried to find out why she should have been singled out, but the only answer I ever get is would be like her.
1: Mrs. Cleat, she's the local witch, and naturally she is blamed for anything out of the ordinary. She comes from a family of what used to be called wise women. I'm afraid she's gone to some pains to cultivate the legend. She has rather a sardonic sense of humour. Just like Jenny Saundersfoot, if a child was sickening for mumps, she'd put on a knowing expression and say, oh, yes, I saw him pulling my cat's tail the other day. Her neighbours took to giving her pots of honey and marmalade just to keep on the safe side of her. Whoever it is that has been writing these letters, it certainly isn't Mrs Cleet. Hmm. She's far too shrewd to do anything like that. It's all wrong somehow, Jane. We're not like that in Limstock. There's envy, of course, and some malice, I suppose. But it's the sheer ferocity of the venom in these letters that frightens me. You didn't believe that real evil could exist in Limstock? No, Jane, I did not. That's why you've got to find out who's behind all this before someone else gets hurt. I'm beginning to get worried about Megan,
4: Jerry. We haven't heard a word from her since her mother's death. I was wondering if we should ask her to come and stay with us for a day or two.
3: Yes. She must feel terribly isolated in that place.
4: Well, the boys will be all right. They've got Elsie Holland to look after them. But I imagine she's just the kind of creature that would drive Megan mad. Mm. Why don't we go over there right away?
5: I think it's an excellent idea. The sooner Megan's out of the house, the better. She needs to get away from the atmosphere of this place. You're lucky you caught me. I just called in to see poor Simmington. He's in a pitiful state totally shattered by it all.
3: I suppose there's no question that it was suicide. Couldn't have been an accident?
5: Uh, Not a chance, I'm afraid. She left a scrap of paper saying, I can't go on, and the anonymous letter was screwed up into a ball and thrown into the fireplace.
4: And do you think there was any truth in the accusation?
5: About Simington not being the younger boy's father?
4: Hmm.
5: It's true, he doesn't much resemble his parents, but that doesn't mean anything
3: it might have been enough for the poison pen writer
4: well it certainly hit the eye. Mm. after all she wouldn't have killed herself otherwise would she
5: i'm not quite sure she's been ailing in health for some time neurotic hysterical it's possible i think that the shock of receiving such a letter may have induced a state of panic and she decided to take her own life She may have worked herself up to feel that her husband might not believe her, and the general shame and disgust might have acted on her so powerfully as to temporarily unbalance her judgment.
4: Suicide while of unsound mind. Mm,
5: It appears very much like it. But look, if you're going to get the girl away from the house, I wouldn't waste any time over it. And I wouldn't trouble Symington about it. He's in no condition to make any kind of decision. Why don't you have a word with Elsie Holland?
1: Of course... Poor Mrs Symington had been nervy and weepy for some time. And she was snappy and irritable, too. Some days, you wouldn't know how to take her. What we really came for was to ask whether we could have Megan for a few days, if she'd like to come, that is. Megan? Oh, I don't know, I'm sure. I mean, it's ever so kind of you, but she's such a queer girl. One never knows what she's going to say or feel about things. I have to admit, it would be one problem the less for me. I mean, there's the boys... And poor Mister Symington. he needs looking after as much as anyone. Mm. Why don't you ask her? She's in the old nursery. Too many stairs for you, Jerry. I'll go. Uh,
3: no, I, I think I'd better do this. Don't worry,
7: I'll manage. Who is it? What do you want?
3: Megan, it's me, Jerry Burton. Joanna and I have uh, come to see if you'd like to stay with us for a few days.
7: Stay with you? In your house? Yes. You mean you'll take me away from here? Yes, Megan. Oh, do you take me away, please. It's so awful being here alone and feeling so wicked.
3: Wicked? What on earth are you talking about?
7: I'm an awful coward. I didn't know what a coward I was.
3: I'm sure you're nothing of the sort. Now, these things are a bit chattering.
7: Come along. Can we go at once? Straight away?
3: Well, you'll have to put a few things together. Hmm? We can provide you with a bed and a bath and the rest of it, but <laughs> well, I, I'm damned if I'll lend you my toothbrush.
7: Of course. I'm a bit stupid today. You won't go away, will you? You'll wait for me. Is she coming?
3: She's just packing a few things.
7: Oh, I'm so glad. It will take her out of herself. It will be a great relief to me to know that I haven't got her on my mind as well as everything else. Oh, I'd better go and answer that. Mr Symington's in no state to talk to anyone.
4: Not only Helen of Troy, but a ministering angel as well.
3: Uh, Why do you have to be so nasty? The poor girl's only doing her job. And
4: she's making sure that everyone knows it. How was Megan?
3: Cowering in the corner of a darkened room like a terrified animal.
4: Poor kid. She'll be all right once we've got her back to little furs.
7: <laughs> I, I'm sorry to be like this. It seems so idiotic.
4: Don't worry about it. Here, have another handkerchief. Thanks. I think it's just the relief of being away from it all as much as anything else.
3: Here, try this. What is it? A cocktail.
4: Is it really? Do you mean to say you've reached the great age of 20 and never had a cocktail? Never.
3: (laughs) Well, everything has to have a beginning. Taste it.
7: It's lovely. (laughs) Marvellous.
3: You're not supposed to knock it back in one gulp.
7: Oh, I'm sorry. May I have another? Not yet. Why not?
3: Just wait a few minutes and see how you feel.
7: I really am awfully sorry for making such an ass of myself, howling away like that. It seems awfully ungrateful when I'm really so glad to be here. I hope I'm not being a nuisance. Don't apologise. Jerry and I have lived alone
4: together so much we've used up all our conversation. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure you can't really mean that.
7: But at least we shall be able to have another chat about Shakespeare. Oh, you can count me out.
3: About Goneril and Regan.
7: About Cordelia, mostly. I mean, when you've always got to be saying thank you and how kind and all the rest of it, you'd long to be beastly for a change. And when you got the chance it would probably go to your head and you'd go too far old lear really was pretty dreadful though and he deserved the ticking off he got from cordelia
3: yeah, i've never seen it in that light before but you're quite right how's the cocktail any ill effects
7: well i'm not starting to feel woozy or anything i just want to talk rather a lot do you think i could have another now the
1: inquest was held three days later in what had once been the old courthouse. There was a very large attendance. The time of Mrs Symington's death was put at between three and four in the afternoon. She was alone in the house. Mr Symington was at his office. The maids were having their day out. Elsie Holland and the boys had gone for their usual afternoon walk. And Megan was riding her bicycle on the moors.
8: The letter must have come by the afternoon post. Uh, As far as I can tell, uh, and of course this is uh, only conjecture, my wife must have picked up the letter and read it uh, and then gone out uh, into the potting shed, fetched some of the cyanide, kept in there for taking wasps, mixed it in water, and drank it.
1: The coroner went on at some length on the subject of the anonymous letters. Whoever had written that wicked and lying letter, he said, was morally guilty of murder. Under his direction, the jury brought in the inevitable verdict, suicide, while the balance of her mind was disturbed. It's
9: Dick Symington, I'm really sorry for. It was perfectly frightful for him for it all to come out like that at the inquest. But you heard what he said to the coroner, Miss Griffith, that there wasn't a word of truth in that letter. Of course he said so. A man's got to stick up for his wife. At least Dick would do so. You see, Mr Burton, I've known him for quite a while. He used to spend a good deal of time up north in our part of the world before Owen and I came to Limstock. Dick's proud, very reserved, But he's the kind of man who could be very jealous. I
3: suppose that might explain why Mrs. Symington was afraid to tell him about the letter.
9: Good Lord. Do you think any woman would go and swallow a lot of cyanide on account of an accusation that wasn't
3: true? The coroner
9: seemed to think it was perfectly possible. So did your brother. Men are all alike. Anything to preserve the decencies. If an innocent woman gets some filthy anonymous letter, she just laughs and chucks it away. That's what I would do. You mean you've had one too? Well... Yes, I have, as a matter of fact. But I didn't let it worry me. I threw it in the waste paper basket. You didn't think of taking it to the police? No, I didn't. At least said soonest mended, I thought. But I didn't come all the way up here to talk about this. I wanted to know if you'd like me to take Megan off your hands. It must be rather a nuisance for you, having her cluttering up the place all the time. I dare say I could find something useful for her to do. Well, it's very kind of you, but we like having her here. She potters about quite happily. Oh. I dare say. Much too fond of pottering that child. She's too old to be spending her time doing nothing.
3: It's been rather difficult for her to do anything else. Mrs Simington always seemed to be under the impression that Megan was about 12 years
9: old. You're quite right. I had no patience with that silly attitude of hers. I shouldn't be saying this. But that woman was the perfect example of what I call the unintelligent domestic type. Bridge and gossip and her two boys. The wretched Megan simply did not fit in. What kind of person was Megan's father? No one seems to want to talk about him. What did the man do? Is he still alive? I really don't know. From what I've heard, he was a thoroughly bad lot. He ended up in prison, I believe. Still, if I can't help you with Megan, I'll be off. But don't you think you'd better have a word with her stepfather? She may be needed at home.
3: Megan? I just wanted to know if it'd be all right for her to carry on staying with us for a few days. Yes. Yes, of course. It's company for my sister, you see. She finds it rather lonely here.
8: Megan can stay for as long as you can put up with her, Mr Burton. What are you planning to do about her? Do about Megan? I hadn't really given it much thought. It's too early to say... She'll go on living with us, I suppose. Uh, I mean, naturally, it is her home. I swear he'd completely
3: forgotten she existed. I wouldn't mind so much if he actively resented the girl. After all, some men do sometimes feel jealous about a child by a first husband. But he
4: doesn't even dislike
3: her. What you got there?
4: It was in the letterbox. Dropped him by hand you painted trollop it begins and it gets a lot worse after that
3: and everyone was hoping that mrs symington's death would put an end to it all
4: evidently not
3: no no don't scrunch it up we must show it to the police
2: i'll ask them to call in does this have the same appearance as the last one mr burton as far as i can remember yes the same difference between the envelope and the text
3: yes just the same
2: I wonder if you'd mind if I run you back to the police station, Mr. Burton. I've arranged a meeting there with Mr. Symington and Dr. Griffith. If we could have your views, it would save a good deal of time and uh, overlapping. I'd be more than happy. The sooner we put a stop to this vile business, the better. The uh, difficulty has been to get hold of enough letters to establish any kind of pattern. Either people put them on the fire or they won't admit having received anything of the kind.
5: You can hardly blame them for that, Superintendent. Oh,
2: I'm not blaming them, Doctor. It's just that it doesn't make my job any easier. Even so, we've managed to assemble quite a representative selection. We've got one to Mr. Symington, received as far back as two months
8: ago. Making the most disgusting allegations about me and my Lady clerk, Miss Ginch. And she herself received a letter at the same time. And the poor woman felt she had no alternative but to leave the firm at once. A most unsavoury business. Mm, quite so. We also have a letter written to
2: Dr. Griffith, one to Mrs. Mudge, the butcher's wife, one to Jennifer Clark, the barmaid at the Rosen Crown, and the one received by Mrs. Symington that was referred to at the inquest. And this most recent one to Miss Barton, which shows that our writer has no intention of giving up this filthy
8: business. And have you come to any positive opinion as to the writer?
2: There are certain characteristics shared by all these letters which I will enumerate to you in case they suggest anything to your minds. The actual text is composed of words made up from individual letters cut out of the pages of a book printed according to the opinion of an expert we consulted about the year 1830 any sign of fingerprints apart from those of the recipients and of the postal authorities nothing the person who put the letters together was careful to wear gloves the envelopes were all typed on a windsor 7 machine well worn with the a and the t out of alignment most of them were posted in round around Limstock or put in the letter boxes by hand. So
8: they are all of local
2: provenance? Yes, Mr. Symington. In my opinion, they were written by a woman, probably of middle age or over, and probably, though not certainly, unmarried.
5: But surely the typewriter is your best bet. That oughtn't to be too difficult to trace in a place like this.
2: Unfortunately, Doctor, the typewriter is all too readily identifiable. Oh. It's in the Women's Institute and was given to them by Mr. Symington's office.
8: It was well past its prime, I'm afraid, but we thought the ladies uh, might find it useful.
2: Being where it is, of course, it's fairly easy of access. Most of the women in Limstock drop into the Institute at some time or other.
5: But can't you tell something from the um, touch or whatever they call it?
2: In normal circumstances, we might be able to do that, but all these envelopes were typed by somebody using only one finger. Or so the experts tell us.
5: Evidently someone who's never used one
2: before. I suspect it's more likely to be someone who knows how to type, but doesn't want to broadcast the fact. These letters have been written by an educated woman. (laughs) The content may be pretty nasty, but mm, whoever's writing
8: them knows how to put words together very effectively. But that narrows it down to about a dozen people in the whole of Limstock. That's right. I can't believe it. You heard what I stated at the inquest, Superintendent Nash. I am certain that the subject matter of the letter my wife received was totally false. My wife was a very sensitive woman, and... um, Well, you might even call her prudish in some respects. She would never have What you must understand, Mr. Symington, is that none
2: of these letters, as far as we know, shows an intimate knowledge of the person concerned. It's just uh, sex and spite... (sighs) And that's going to give us quite a good pointer toward the writer. But the woman must be mad going on with it. Think of the risks she's running, using
3: that typewriter in the Women's Institute. And that letter to Joanna didn't even come through the post.
2: It was dropped in by hand. Mm. It's a vice, you know, Mr Burton. I can't let it alone. And that might be the best thing for us. Remember that the pitcher goes too often to the Well. cigarette
7: no thank you i don't think i will but it's so nice to be treated as if i were a real person
3: aren't you a real person megan
7: <laughs> i do my best look i've darned my stockings hmm. <laughs> it's much more uncomfortable than the hole does your sister darn well
3: to tell you the truth i have no idea
7: so what does she do when she gets a hole in her stocking
3: i rather think that she throws them away and buys another pair oh,
7: she's lucky i can't do that my allowance is 40 pounds a year You can't do much on that
3: no i suppose not
7: if only i wore black stockings i could ink my legs that's what i always did at school (laughs) miss batworthy the mistress who looked after our mending was like her name blind as a bat (laughs) it was awfully useful
3: it must have been
7: it's so wonderful just to be able to talk like this i've never really had the chance before the poor mummy wished i weren't there most of the time i reminded her of my father ...who treated her very badly and was pretty dreadful, from what I've heard. All she really wanted was for there to be just herself and my stepfather and the boys. And now she's dead. I can't believe it, really. And I certainly can't believe that she killed herself just because of some stupid letter that she must have known wasn't true. What could have possessed her? It simply doesn't make any kind of sense. You late
3: down to breakfast this morning. Nine thirty. Maybe late by Limstock standards, but in London, my eyes would still be tight shut and I should be sleeping the sleep of the righteous.
4: Amy Griffith is here.
3: Oh, at this hour? What the devil's she after?
4: She said she wanted to have a word with Megan. He went off to the orchard about five minutes ago.
3: I wish he'd have the good sense to let her alone. I'd better go off and rescue the poor girl. I'll get it. Fine. <sighs> Limstock 231. Yes, that's right. Miss Partridge, certainly. Uh, Who who shall I say? Agnes Watt. Hang on, I'll I'll get her. Partridge! Who is it? Oh, some girl called Agnes Waddle.
4: I think it should be Waddell. She's a maid at the Symingtons.
3: Yes, sir. What is it? There's a telephone call for you. Me, sir? Yes, for you, Partridge. Agnes Waddell.
1: Agnes! Whatever can she want?
9: Ah, there you are, Mr Burton. Up at last. You're out and about very early, Miss Griffith. I've been up for hours. You have a better chance of catching people at this time of day. You managed to catch Megan, I gather. Yes, we had our little chat. She's gone back to her room, I think. And now I really must be going. I've got to get over to the Institute to organise the Red Cross stand and then drive off to Brenton for the girl guides. What
3: a busy life you do lead, to be sure, Miss Griffith. Goodbye.
4: Goodbye, Miss Griffith. Goodbye, Miss Burton. I wonder what it would feel like to be Amy Griffith bursting with health and vigor and enjoyment of life. Do you think she's ever tired or depressed or wistful?
3: Wistful? (laughs) I shouldn't think she's ever had a moment of wistfulness in her life. Ah, but here comes Partridge, looking very put out.
6: Can I speak to you a minute, Miss? Yes, of course. What's the matter? I must apologise for being rung up on the telephone. Young Agnes should have known better. I have never been in the habit of using the telephone or permitting my friends to ring me up on it, and I'm very sorry that it should have occurred. Why shouldn't your friends ring you up if they want to talk to you? It's not the kind of thing that has ever been done at Little Furs. This Agnes who rung me up, she used to be in service under me. Sixteen she was then and come straight from the orphanage... And you see, miss, not having a home or a mother or any relations to advise her, she's been in the habit of coming to me. Yes, I understand. So, I'm taking the liberty of asking you if you would allow Agnes to come here to tea this afternoon in the kitchen. It's her day out, you see, and she's got something on her mind she wants to consult me about. It's probably only something to do with that young man of hers, but she did sound very agitated. I wouldn't dream of suggesting such a thing in the normal way. But why shouldn't you have someone to tea with you? It has never been the custom of this house. Miss Barton never allowed visitors in the kitchen, except as it should be our own day out, but otherwise on ordinary days. No. Thank you, Miss. Mr. Burton?
3: Mm. it's no good my girl your sympathy and leniency are not appreciated Mm. the good old overbearing ways for partridge and things done the way they should be in a gentleman's house
4: can't imagine why she doesn't like me most people do
3: she doesn't think you're up to much as a housekeeper (laughs) you you never draw your hand across a shelf and examine it for traces of dust you don't look under the mats you don't ask what happened to the remains of the chocolate souffle you don't
4: megan's coming something's happened
7: I've decided it's time I went home.
5: What?
7: It's been awfully good of you having me here, and I expect I've been a frightful nuisance, but I have enjoyed it awfully. Only now I must go back, because after all, it is my home, and I can't stay away forever. I've decided to go this morning. I'll just go and get my things together. What on
4: earth was all that
7: about?
3: I suppose she just got fed up with us.
4: I don't think it's that at all. I think it's probably something to do with Amy Griffith.
3: You mean she told Megan that she was needed at home? Oh, why can't the bloody woman leave well alone?
1: You know, Jane, there's something about those letters that's all wrong. Wrong in what way, Maud? Whoever it is that's writing them doesn't know anything about Limstock. None of the real things. You mean that all the allegations are made up? Why, yes. Accusing Hmm. Caleb of having an affair with the schoolmistress... Or saying that Joanna isn't Mr Burton's sister, what's the point of it? You think there are quite enough real scandals in Limstock? Exactly. There's plenty of adultery here, and everything else. <laughs> Any amount of shameful secrets, it wouldn't be difficult to sniff out. Why didn't the writer use those? And how did she suddenly manage to stumble on the truth? The truth? Well, I've no idea whether the accusation about Mrs Symington was true or not. But if suicide is your idea of escape from trouble, it doesn't matter what the trouble is. Yes, that is much what Miss Barton told me. You mean you've been round to see her? Oh, no. We just happened to get talking in the tea shop. A brainstorm. That's what she said it must have been. Mrs Symington was never a strong woman, she said, and she couldn't have known what she was doing, or she would have thought of Mr Symington and the children does she think is writing these letters well she said that whoever it is must be the instrument of providence to awaken us all to the knowledge of our shortcomings i would have thought that the almighty might have chosen a less unsavory weapon god moves in a mysterious way that's her explanation for it all i think caleb had better have a word with her Had she received one of these letters? She looked so horrified when I suggested it that I thought for one moment she was about to be taken ill. I rather think she might have done. And then she recovered and said that they were nasty things that were better ignored. Well, they can hardly be ignored now. But what do you think yourself, Jane? Have you managed to come up with anything yet? Mm, I'm beginning to suspect that nothing is quite what it appears to be. Everyone talks of no smoke without fire. But in this case, I wonder whether what we are confronted with is really a smoke screen. A smoke screen? To conceal what? Murder, Maud. Murder. And
4: how did your little tea party with Miss Waddell go, Partridge? Was it a success? Thank you for asking, Miss.
6: But Agnes never turned up. Oh, I'm sorry. Didn't matter to me wasn't me who thought of asking her she rings up to say she's got something on her mind and could she come here to talk about it since it's her day off and after that not a sound nor sight of her no word of apology neither though i hope i'll get a postcard tomorrow morning well she meant to felt well you didn't ring up to find out no i did not miss if agnes likes to behave badly that's her lookout. But
4: I shall give her a piece of my mind when I see her next... I expect she's had a row with her boyfriend. I mean, by now, they're probably locked in one another's arms behind some dark hedge. What's the matter, Jerry?
3: Hmm? No, I'm trying to think of something. Something she said. That's it. About it being Agnes's day off.
4: What about it?
3: It's exactly a week since Mrs Simmington's suicide. She was alone in the house that day. Alone in the house because the maids were having their day out.
4: Yes, but what's that got to do with... Could you ring the bell for Partridge, please? Of course. But what's all this about?
3: Joanna, maids have days out once a week, don't they?
4: And alternate Sundays.
3: Never mind Sundays. Do they go out the same day every week?
4: That's the usual thing. But what's got into you all of a sudden? Yes, sir. What is
3: it? This Agnes Waddell who was supposed to come and see you, she's in service at the Symingtons, isn't she? Yes, sir. Hmm.
6: It's half past ten. Would she be back by now, do you think? Oh, yes, sir. They're very strict there. The maids have to be in by ten. I'm going to telephone.
4: What on earth is all this? What are you trying to prove?
6: I'm just making sure that the girl got home safely.
1: Limstock 409?
3: Uh, good evening, Miss Holland. This is Jerry Burton. I'm sorry to disturb you at this hour, but has your maid Agnes returned?
1: Oh, yes. She's sure to be in by now.
3: Would you mind checking that she's got back, Miss Holland?
1: Yes, of course, if that's what you want. I'll ask Rose. But
4: don't you think you're making the most terrible fuss about nothing? <sighs> oh, this for a stupid girl who's got no respect for her betters? She's
1: probably gone off to the cinema
4: in Brenton. You know what they'll say, don't you? You've got a crush on this Agnes Woodell. Be all round Limstock by tomorrow.
1: Hello, Mr Burton. Are you still there?
8: Yes, I'm still here.
1: As a matter of fact, Agnes isn't in yet.
8: What does she say? Agnes isn't back. Hello, Burton. What's the matter? Something about Agnes, I understand. There hasn't been an accident, has there?
3: Not an accident, no.
8: Do you mean you have reason to suppose something has happened to the girl?
3: I shouldn't be surprised. I only hope that I'm wrong.